Welcome to the Blackhawks Talk podcast presented by Coors Light with Blackhawks insider Charlie Romeliotis. I am Pat Boyle. On this episode, we discuss the first two games under Derek King. What has changed with this team and allow them to get into the win column the last two games. Charlie goes one-on-one with King. What are his coaching philosophies and how much tweaking will he do schematically? And could this be the launching point of a potential Hawks run? And we also get to know Kyle Davidson, the interim general manager who made the coaching move over the weekend. It's all coming up next on the Blackhawks Talk podcast. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Born in the Rockies, Coors Light is lagered cold for a crisp, clean taste. Filtered cold to ensure clarity and brightness. And packaged cold for peak refreshment. Because those who thirst for more deserve the world's most refreshing beer. All right, Charlie, let's kick things off on this podcast with uh, the man who initiated the coaching change. That's interim general manager Kyle Davidson. Uh, We asked last week when he took over for Stan Bowman, you know, would he have the authority to make changes? And the answer is an emphatic yes. Give me your uh, initial impression of, of Kyle. Yeah, very impressed by Kyle. And I think the one thing that I I was kind of looking for as he sat down, this was his first media availability, but this was also like the first time all of us were talking to him. And I think the one thing that came across to me is he's very confident and he's very composed. Like he wasn't a deer in headlights that, you know, he's 33 years old and he 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 really carried himself like he's he's been a, a veteran um, for a long time. So I think the way he carried himself, the what he was saying, how he was saying it, um, the way he responded to every single question, whether it was difficult or or not, was was very professional. So, listen, I know the Blackhawks don't have a a senior leadership group right now, but I, I feel pretty comfortable at, at with Kyle at the helm for the time being as they kind of navigate this this difficult time without a senior leadership group. And you, now you have an interim head coach and. There, there's just there's just a lot going on off the ice as well, and even even the questions that he answered like off the ice about the Kyle Beach stuff and making sure that that doesn't happen again in this organization or just in hockey. Like he just handled it so professionally, so I was really impressed. And I think Blackhawks fans should be too. Yeah, you know, like for me, it was putting what I had heard about Kyle or what I had seen written about you know his track record and I don't know the seven different titles he's had with the Blackhawks and how he literally has worked his way up this organization from the ground floor. And I'm putting kind of the resume to uh, the actual person. And I echo your sentiments, very sharp, very composed. You know, you're handling everything from the Kyle Beach uh, type of topic to, you know, Stan to letting Jeremy go, what's next, all these different things, this opportunity now that's in front of him. And he handled 
all of it uh, very well and very well spoken. We got an opportunity after he met the media, the broadcasters were able to meet Kyle on a more informal basis to get to know him, to ask him questions about why the move was made and, and, and why he went with Derek and, you know, like what he, what he said in that press conference, uh, you know, there was not one thing that wasn't the Winnipeg loss. It wasn't this per se, or the handling of that player at the end, you know, he saw what we saw mistakes that were happening that seemingly were correctable. were not getting corrected. And he agreed with the message and the approach to, to correcting those mistakes, but something got lost in translation and we weren't seeing it on a, a nightly basis. So um, as, as one person said to me, when I was asking uh, about Kyle, he's, they, the, the person said, he's very sharp. He knows what he knows and what he doesn't, he's not afraid to ask. And I thought that is such a great statement about a leader you know, a, a firm grasp of the things that they know and they're on top of, but the willingness and the um, the humility to be able to ask questions when they don't know something. And I just thought that was a really nice description about somebody, uh, you know, when I was asking around about Kyle. Yeah, no question. And it, it reminds me of what Derek King said, too, in his press conference. Too. He's like, I don't have all the answers. I'm not going to pretend to know all the answers. He said he leaned really heavily on Mark Crawford in the first game. So, like, when you have that kind of humility at the top of the pyramid, like Kyle said, um, that really rubs off on, on guys. You, you don't want someone – you don't want a general manager. You don't want someone in the leadership group that that has – that thinks they have, they have all the answers. And then, you know, you're kind of closed-minded about some – some opinions. Um, so the fact that the fact that he did say that and uh, just just really just really impressed by by his character and and uh, moving forward, I it'll be interesting to see the autonomy he has. I mean, it sure feels like and sounds like he he has full autonomy moving forward to make those hockey related decisions. Well, well, let me tell you something. Just knowing a little bit about the the Wirtz family and how they not only handle their their hockey business but their other businesses, they hire individuals for certain jobs and then they let that person do that job. That's their be. MO. They do not meddle, they do not micromanage. If you're you're not able to do the job, then you will be removed of the job. But initially they they, you know, their hardest part is is identifying the person. And, and once they identify that person, they let that person go to work. And so I guess it, it I think what what really clouded this was the the seriousness of and the gravity of the what what the organization was going through at the same time they were going through stuff on the ice so the Kyle Beach story which we all you know agree is far more significant than a win or a loss or or a overtime win or what have you of course um but these things were happening almost together in unison, you know, it's one week it's this and Stan is let go. And then Kyle's put into the interim, you know, how quickly, I mean, 
you could you could make a case that Jeremy probably could have been removed the week that the the report um, became public. But you can also understand you absolutely could not make a coaching change that week. Um, that would have been completely tone deaf of the gravity of of what was happening with Kyle coming forth with the organization admitting their mistakes and what they plan to do to, to change going forward. At the same time, you couldn't be bringing in Derek King or whatever, whoever you decided and make this coaching move. Um, you know, the optics would have looked horrible. So I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, they had a lot of tough waters to navigate there. And Kyle had to like, okay, at some point he was like, you know, I still have to run this team. We still have this stuff going on. We acknowledge that we're not running away from it, but there's also this hockey team. That's a problem. And so a week kind of uh, into his tenure as interim general manager, he goes to Rocky and Danny and says, look, I, I think, a coaching change needs to be made and here's why and here's who I'm thinking to run it. And, you know, as I, as I look at it now, I mean, I didn't have many interactions with Derek um, only via zoom when he was coaching the prospects camp for the Hawks in uh, Minnesota. So I, I did not know a ton about Derek. Um, once you saw where this team was at, the deficiencies that they had and you take Derek's profile, his background, his personality, his proximity to the team. Wow. It, it, it really looks like a good match. I don't, I don't think we're trying to force, you know, a, a square peg into a round hole. I really think that this, this is the right guy at the right time for this team. And it just so happens that he was in your backyard in Rockford. Yeah, no question. I mean, you just watch one press conference of Derek or of Derek King and you can immediately see his personality and just, you know, even on some of the tougher questions, like he's 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 just so honest too with the like, you know, yet we were asking about some of the injured guys with Brandon Hagel and, and Entwistle and, and Wyatt Kalanuk, and he's like, I he's like, I'm new here. I I I'm talking to the medical staff after this. Uh, tomorrow's going to be a big day for me because, you know, you know, so he's just trying to get, you know, when Jeremy Carlton w was the head coach, he, you know, he knew after the game, go to the medical staff, get an update so that he can report to the meet. So like Derek is just, he's figuring, he's trying to figure it all out right now on the fly. But I agree, Pat, like his personality is, is probably exactly what this Blackhawks team needs right now, given how mentally fragile they were through the first month of the season, having only one win in, in 12 games, like, he I mean, he said like they're, they're playing tight, you know, they just got to loosen up, drop their shoulders a little bit and go have fun. And I know it sounds so simple, but the way he was delivering that message, it just seemed like, oh my God, he looks so calm saying this. And it's like, yeah, you're right. Like it is just hockey. It is. And so the, over the last two games, they just look like a much more competitive hockey team. And it just feels they're, they're still giving up. They, they gave up a lot of chances against Pittsburgh, but it just felt like they, they were just competitive. Like the effort was there all around. Right. And so I think he, that's the difference. He used a great example. I mean, it was literally an example from Friday night. He said in Winnipeg, when the 
goal was disallowed because of the review and the offsides. He's like, you could see this shot of the bench. They were defeated right there. That 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 was their opportunity. They thought their only opportunity really to get back into a, a hockey game. That was that would have been a two one game with well over half the game left. Uh, instead, it's it, it remains two nothing. Certainly not an insurmountable lead in the NHL. But his reaction from watching was, "Wow, they they reacted like a team that was defeated right there." And then you fast forward to. Uh, Tuesday night and Pittsburgh is coming hard in the third period, rallying from a two goal deficit, 20 shots on goal. Carter ties the thing up at two, two. And you know, how was his bench reacting? And that was like the first question I asked him on the post game show when we had him, had him live. Like, what did you learn about your team? Because it was not four days prior that as, the Rockford head coach, he was watching them. I'm not going to say melt. Uh, he was watching them uh, show their fragility in a, you know, a tough spot where a goal goal was disallowed. And he kind of felt like, all right, that game, game set and match right there where last night they weathered that storm and they persevered and got through it. So it's crazy how sports is, right? Like nothing like, the players are relatively the same players other than a couple injuries here or there, what, what have you, lineup changes. But, like, they're the same guys that were in Winnipeg are playing Sunday against Nashville and Tuesday against Pittsburgh, and yet highly more competitive uh, and two wins. It, 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 that's sports, right? Isn't it, it weird how things change and how just – we talk about confidence. We talk about personalities and things. It just seems like for where this team was at, Derek King seems to be the the right answer to walk into that room and change the tone. Yeah, no question. It, it reminded me of what Kyle Davidson said at his press conference, why he felt the need to make the change. It was be, It's not because they were losing. It's because how they were losing. Like they were just, they just lacked competitiveness and they lacked the effort. And Pat, at any moment during that Tuesday night game, when, when Pittsburgh scored to make it 2-1, did you feel like, oh no, here we go again? I didn't. I felt like, you know, this feels like a little bit of a different group, like mentally. They, they seem like they were now maybe part of that like Pittsburgh really put like the entire third period Pittsburgh pushed so maybe they just ran out of time to to score that third goal but like it never felt like a collapse was coming you know it just it did you feel that no no I didn't think a collapse I, like I look at the second period where the Hawks bookended that period with with good play in the first few minutes where they got a goal and where they got their second goal late in the second period I thought the middle part or the majority of that second period, uh, Pittsburgh was the better team. So I thought like at two different moments in this game, um, they weathered the storm. You know, they they took the punches that Pittsburgh was throwing. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury was on top of his game. I don't think they were as sound defensively on Tuesday night as they were on Sunday against Nashville. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't like, we talked about it on previous podcasts 
in the last month, like when they were down two goals, it felt like they were down four. Yeah. And on, on the same token, when they were up one, it always felt like you were waiting for the shoe to drop. Well, I, I didn't feel that way the last two games. I don't know why. I mean, I'm, I'm watching the same team. It just seems – it does seem – and again, this may all sound cliche, but again, we're, we're observers. We, we take the information that we're given and uh, we try to analyze it. You know, they talked about wiping the slate clean, not only as a team – but as individuals and look every to a, to a man, everybody on that roster had uneven performances, you know? Yeah. There are maybe one or two that you could say consistently were solid throughout the first 12 games of this season. So everybody had um, the desire maybe for a clean slate, some more than others. And I think you 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 kind of reboot the team, you reboot the individuals, you talk about simplifying your approach and having fun and it sounds so simple and so cliché, have fun. Well why why couldn't you have had fun 2 weeks ago? Well, you know, being around it it was just different. Things didn't feel like when things started going south, it it just felt like it was piling on. And I don't know, maybe part of that was also some of the things that were going on with with the team off the ice. Um, it, it was it was a lot. So, um, yeah, and I think a big reason for that, Pat, because I I totally agree. I think a big reason for why they felt so heavy is because as the losses did pile up it really felt like the pressure was mounting because the noise was happening outside. Like you knew that like Jeremy Colleton going into training camp, you know, he was asked like, do you feel more pressure? And he's like, if anything, I, you know, I feel looser because we can find. And so he showed his personality in training camp. And then as the losses started to pile up in the way in which they were losing as the, um, as the season was progressing, it just felt like that even the players were starting to look up and say, okay, is it, is a change going to be made? Because it felt like they were waiting for that shoe to drop. And now that the shoe has finally dropped, it feels like everyone else can kind of just relax. And it's such a weird, it's so weird. Like you were saying, because it three coaches lost their job because of it. And now the players can kind of, kind of relax because it was, that was the move that needed to be made uh, to kind of steer the ship and in, into the, into the right direction. But yeah, hockey, and and we see this in other sports too. I guess not just hockey, but it's weird. Like right after you, right after there there are significant changes, guys just feel like okay, that was the shoe to drop, and now we can we basically have nothing to lose, so to speak. At least that's the mentality. Well, before Sunday's game against Nashville, Charlie, you had an opportunity to sit down with uh, Derek King. Here is that interview. All right. Well, we're now joined by the Blackhawks interim head coach. Derek King. Derek, just walk us through the last 24 hours of getting the call and then preparing for morning skate and then <laughs> yeah. going into your first NHL. Yeah, it's, it's been crazy. It's uh, <laughs> When I, I got the call, it was uh, I almost fell out of my chair. Um, you know, I called the wife. Uh, she was a little emotional. but And then since that, my phone's been fire. It's been on fire. It's been ringing text messages, phone messages. I've been on the phone with people. Uh, even my kids, their friends are texting them and it's just been crazy, but a good crazy. Is it weird for, for you stepping into this and 
for, for Jeremy. I know you built a relationship yeah. with him in Rockford and I'm sure over the last few years communicating as head coach of Rockford. Yeah, it's, it's you never want to see this. It's He's a friend. If anything, it's not we coached with each other or, you know, he was the head there and I was the head in Rockford. It was just we were friends and uh, we had a good relationship. So uh, I feel, and he understands though, I had a good conversation with him yesterday. Uh, it's part of the business. We all get that. This is what we signed up for. And then I'll just move forward. You mentioned in your press conference that you see the team that's playing tight, right? You want them to play more relaxed, shoulders yeah. loose. How do you get them to do that? Well, that's going to be the challenge. Um, it's a sensitive group. Um, you know, it's like that shift out of time. And, and I'm just going to have to be in their ear on the bench. Like, you know, it's okay. We make a mistake. Let's not, let's end it after that. And I, I've said that uh, over the last uh, 24 hours that, you know, you make a mistake, that's fine. I can live with that as long as it's a good mistake and you're working hard. Um, it's what happens after that mistake uh, is that's when we have to end it. That's it. One mistake and that's it. And then hopefully that's how it's going to go the first period. Is it tough that you're coming into such a mentally fragile group right now and you don't want to put too much pressure to kind of change it right away that yeah. it might be a gradual process? Yeah, there's no, there's no point of coming in here and putting my chest out and dictating this is how we're going to change the way we... Uh, I'm no... It's not rocket science. And you probably heard that before about this game. It's uh, The big thing is the accountability. Let's, let's be accountable for each other. Let's play as a team and let's have some fun. I mean, this is this is the game we've played since we were so young and it was fun back then, so why can't it be fun now? You said you had an open door policy, right? Yep. That's something that you believe in. What is your overall coaching philosophy? I've been asked that so many times. <laughs> I don't, I, I think, I don't look at myself as a philosophy. I'm just, I try to manage the players and manage the game, that's all. Um, going into this, I get a feel for it. Uh, some nights I'll be rah, 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 and there'll be other nights where I don't need to be that. Uh, I'll let the guys do it, and I'll just get a feel for that. How much of having success as a coach is X's and O's versus just trying to let the guys play their game and feel comfortable playing that game? It's, I think there's a happy medium. I think you can mix it. Um, I, I'm a big believer of just letting them play, and then if there are mistakes, we'll correct them as coaches. Uh, through video or through uh, talking on the boards, but you got to let these guys play and just go out and do what they do best. You obviously have a relationship with some of the, the Rockford yeah. guys, so I'm sure it's nice coming into this locker room and you have some established relationships. How difficult is it going to be and the importance also of building that trust with the, the veterans in this locker room? Well, it's huge. I mean, those are the guys that uh, are going to help you, um, and I got to get their trust. Uh, and hopefully when I get their trust, they're going to trust me. They're going to get to know me. I mean, they've seen me around the rink, uh, whether it's after a game or during training camps, but to sit and have a skate with them and really talk to them, um, I'm just going to have to build it, build okay. the relationship. Have you gotten a chance to talk with, with Patrick and Jonathan, maybe <clears> get their opinions on, on what, they, what this team needs maybe moving forward? Well, I just I had a good conversation with our leadership group and just told them this is you know, my door's open. Uh, I'm here to, to help you guys uh, get to where you want to be and where we should be. Um, we will, I told them we will chat more about systems and, and get feedback from them, what they're thinking or what they see, and then we'll move from there. So structurally, you don't plan on changing anything at the no. current moment? No, it's, it's tough. You can't come in here and just start 
uh, drawing up different X's and all. We just gotta, like I said, uh, we're gonna make mistakes. Uh, we'll see those mistakes on video after the game, and then we'll decide when the good, the right time is to uh, make some structural moves. So, so you don't have any, you know, I want to play this way in the defensive zone or <coughs> this way, and it's more of just letting the the guys kind of dictate what they feel is best. Well, I, I have a, a th I have some thoughts on how I think we we can play. Care to share? <laughs> uh, you know, I think we can be a little more structured in the D zone, and I think we're they're chasing it a little bit too much. Uh, neutral zone, it seems all right, but that's again after the game, I'll maybe see some of those uh, flaws where I think well maybe we need to tweak the uh, neutral zone. Uh, offensively, the fun zone. I mean, once you get the puck down there, I mean if it was me, I'd be putting the puck in that area all the time and going getting it and and go have some fun. But I think the big thing with this team is a uh, uh, little structure in the D zone. For for you personally, how are you treating this? stretch is this a tryout for you or are you just like <laughs> i'm not yeah it's i'm sure I, it's you know when you get called upon uh by the the organization that they they would love for me to come here and help you can't say no this is my job i'm here to help the team whether it's in the minors helping them build prospects to eventually play for the uh, hawks or now it's my turn to help these guys uh, and you can't say no and i'm excited about it so I think a lot of fans that watch the press conference are, are getting an idea of who you are and your personality. What message do you have to the fan base? What what can they expect out of you? <laughs> well, I you know I, I I try not to take myself too serious. I know this is a serious job. It's a serious game, and especially at this level, there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot there's a lot of things going on, but um, I try not to take it too serious. Uh, I try to keep calm. I think if the players see that I'm calm and I'm not uh, uh, yelling and screaming or throwing things and being uh, up uptight, then uh, it'll uh, they'll see that it, it's okay to just relax and have some fun. And then last one, you're going into your first NHL game as a head coach. You said you're scared, you're anxious in the press conference. <laughs> yeah. I love the honesty. How does this compare to your first NHL game? Is it weird to this feel is these worse. emotions? This, this is, is worse? worse. And my first NHL game was, uh, I got called up from junior. I was in Montreal at the Old Forum. Uh, and I started the game, the National Anthem. And um, I was nervous. Uh, but this, I'm probably more nervous as a coach than I ever been when I was a player. Is it funny that you're feeling these emotions? Yeah. You're feeling these emotions as a as a grown as a, man. As, yeah, as a grown man. Yeah, I know. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank I got you. it all control. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Terry. All right. Thank you. So, Charlie, you know, we we mentioned it earlier. Just a, a extremely likable guy. First of all, um, like like Patrick Kane, and like a lot of us, we all went to uh, <laughs> Google. You know. Derek King and kind of look at his stats and to see kind of his track record to, you know, get into coaching and whatnot. And, and you see uh, a guy that played over 800 games with four teams, over 600 points. I mean, that is a very, very good NHL career. And it's at a, you know, it's at an interesting time too. He played late 80s and through the 90s when this game uh, evolved and changed quite a bit. And, you know, he played from for some real old school coaches like Al Arbor, uh, Pat Quinn. And, uh, you know, he, he talked about how some of those coaches, he hated those guys at the time. But when he got into coaching, he realized 
what they were up to and why they were on him and why they were trying to get the best out of him. He doesn't seem like the type that is um, is going to get on players, but he also doesn't seem like one that's going to shy away from making these players accountable. I think we've seen, because I think right now that the, this team needed the uh, the, the pick, you know pick the kid up from the playground and dust him off a little bit and nurture him and kind of get their confidence going. I think down the road, one once you know he's been on on the job for a little while and he sees an opportunity to make a point, I don't think he's going to shy away from making that point. No question. He he certainly seems like the kind of guy that will that won't be afraid to do that kind of stuff. And I think right now because it's a it was a mentally fragile group that he was taking over, you you do want to be a little bit more cautious on how you discipline guys, but down the road, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he does sit guys for maybe a shift or two, you know, if they make a mistake. The one thing I did like about that interview is he says, "I'm okay if we make a mistake, but once you make the mistake, let's just leave it at that and move on." Like yeah. do, you know what I mean? Like don't harp on it. I'm going to throw you right back out on the ice, you know, to for for you to to really um he doesn't want to dwell on it, right? He doesn't want to, he, want, he doesn't want guys to make a mistake. And this was similar to what Jeremy Carlton said. I, I remember when he first took took over too. You know, it, it really wasn't in his DNA to sit guys if they make if they make a mistake because he didn't want guys playing scared. And so I think that's similar to what Derek is going to bring. But it just feels like his his uh, his body language is, and his DNA is just to be a jokester and to be you know calm. And so I think it's going to rub off on guys that when he when he does have to discipline somebody. It's going to it's going to be meaningful because you know that's that's not in his DNA to to really do it. Couple things over the years, I I think um, players want to be coached. Good players want to be coached, but they also want to respect that coach, and that can go two ways. The coach walks into the room with a resume that that shows that they have reached goals and and won playoff series and and may have won cups and then there's the the coach that gets the opportunity that doesn't have the decorated resume but they have a decorated NHL career or a respected NHL career Craig Berube, Rod Brindamore, things like those guys like that that you know they they quickly ascended into a coaching role and you're like, all right, why is Craig Berube? And then you're like, well, he was the leader in like five rooms that he was in as a, as a player and was as tough as nails. And, you know, that blues team ended up taking on the, the persona or the personality of Craig Berube went on a magic run and, and won a Stanley cup. I look at, at this instance where, First of all, he's been coaching for 15 years. He was in the Marlies system for a long time as an assistant. He's been in Rockford for a while. Of course, he's been uh, in in the in the top seat since you know Jeremy took over. So he's he's got that experience as well. So he's got this knowledge of of the players in the system. But like it's it, just the way he talks about Reichel and. Like he's like, yeah, in the AHL, I roll four lines. That's what I that's what we do. We want to see how a fourth line goes up against a top line or vice versa. He's like, in the NHL, we're gonna shorten the bench. And yep. we've noticed in both Sunday 
And on Tuesday night, the bench got shortened somewhat early, you know, like in the first period, in the second period, all the way till the end. Uh, there's, you know, the, the top two lines are getting regular shifts and then it's he's rotating a little bit between the other two and same with the D pairings. Yeah, because he did say like in Rockford, typically you you roll four lines, but you want to get the bottom six guys to match up against the top lines because when they get to the NHL level, those third and fourth line guys, their, their goals are going to be to shut down the opponent's top right. lines. But, you know, at the NHL level, Derek's like, I, I want to throw out my top six and match them up with their top six and just have the big boys go go at it heavyweight. And and so we saw that. I think a part of that in Tuesday's game was the Blackhawks had four minutes of power play time in the first like Seth Jones had eleven minutes of ice time in the first period. Like it was pretty insane. And so, but it is gonna be interesting to see how he does manage the group. And and to your point about his, you know respect as a player just looking at his resume like I know Patrick Kane probably you know looked at his hockey DB and it was funny but like when guys see that and we, so I was on Sirius XM radio on Monday and Mike Johnson was on later on in the show he, he's typically on that show he's a former teammate of Derek King in Toronto and he basically said Derek King is one of my favorite all-time teammates ever so like when you hear guys like that say like oh this guy's my like Derek sounds like he's one of the guys, you know? And so when you hear, when you hear some of the other former players talk about Derek that way, that immediately gets him respect, even though he doesn't have that NHL coaching experience yet. I totally agree. And, and here's the thing. If you were the most liked guy, respected guy in the room as a player, chances are you haven't changed that much. You're going to be that right whatever that gravitational pull was to you as a player 15, 20 years ago, it's probably going to be the same thing now in a leadership role as a head coach. Here's the thing after, you know, talking to some people who are uh, tight with Davidson and uh, kind of want to know his philosophy. They believe the recipe for this team is to limit the opposition's scoring chances, keep games close, and let your stars, Kane and Debrinkit, do something special. Like that's, in, in, in the most simple form, that's where they think they can pick themselves up off the mat right now. Limit the scoring chances of the opposition, the two-on-ones, the three-on-twos, the high dangers. Stay in games, be competitive, and let Kane and Debrinkit do their magic. And honestly, what have the last two games been, right? Yeah. And limit, it's funny. Limit to a degree scoring chances. Better on Sunday versus Nashville. Um, got bailed out a little bit by Mark Andre on, on Tuesday. Uh, be competitive. They were ultra competitive in both games. And then let 88 and 12 do their magic. And we saw – now that – that doesn't work every night. 88 and 12 right. are going to get shut down. They're going to have an off night, and they're allowed to. They're right. Beings. But th th that's that, – and that's – you know what? That's kind of like realizing what you are and saying, like, I don't think that's an unrealistic recipe for this team right now. Do you? No, I, I don't. And so what I like about it is he's coaching them to – he's coaching them what to do when they don't have the puck. Like, do, do as I say what – when you don't have the puck, but when you have the puck, you can do whatever you want with it. Because he, he said in that interview, he's like the offense, that's the fun zone, right? When you have Patrick Kane and Alex to bring it in there, 
he's going to let them work their mat. And he was, he was even talking about this, Derek King, about uh, Dylan Strom after morning skate on Tuesday. He's like, it's, it's really his play away from the puck. He's like, once he gets the puck, he can do special things with it. And I'm, you're just going to let him play. And so I think that's his overall philosophy as well. Not just Dylan, but like, once we get the puck, that's, that's where we, we can have some fun. But when, when we don't have the puck, that's when we have to work to get the puck. And then, you know, that's when special things will happen in the offensive zone. And let me give you one quick example of what we saw. And this, this is Colby Cohen, who I'm sitting next to watching the game with. We all know that Dylan Strom, like he was in Jeremy's doghouse, scratched most nights. He's if if we're looking at exhibit A of somebody who was looking for a clean slate, it would be Dylan Strom. In last night's game, there I, th- I think it was in the third period where uh, I think Godet had the puck in the offensive zone. He was looking to make the pass, and he was covered the middle of the ice. There was a defenseman, and instead of trying to force the issue and and cause Gaudette to make a bad pass and a turnover, Strom looped from the blue line and worked his way back in the neutral zone to stay above the puck and and defend. And it was it sounds like a little a small thing, but like for a player who is kind of much maligned for you know, not being as defensively responsible or, you know, some of the, you know, we always use the word cheating a little bit. Um, He was completely defensive responsible. And, you know, so like, I think message sent, message received already to some of these guys. And I was just using Strom as an example. Look, I just think it's been a breath of fresh air. I think he's genuine Derek King. I, I think, um, the way he's interacted with the media, sitting down with his mask on, saying, I don't want to take this thing off because I'm smiling so much, telling <laughs> us how he went to, to dinner with his twins the other night. And uh, you know, they said he looks like the character from uh, Breaking Bad, Walter White, which he does. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I just think there's uh, you know, a lot of uh, – a lot of thing, a lot of positives to take from this. And again, it's two games, and he's the first to say that. He's like, "Look, guys, it's two wins. If <laughs> things go a couple different ways, a, a shootout goes a little differently, we're having a different conversation right now." Do you think this team can go on some type of run to get back in the playoffs, or do we got to pump the brakes at uh, at three nine and two? Well, I, I still think there's a lot of hockey left, and I'm not saying you know. Like this team can definitely still make the playoffs. Like mathematically, we've seen we've seen way worse circumstances. Even to go look at the St. Louis Blues when they were dead last in January and they end up winning the cup. But like I think the reason why they they potentially have a shot is because a lot some of the teams in the central division that we thought were gonna be good are are struggling out of the gates. Like Colorado is struggling out of the gates. Like Winnipeg is on a roll, but their underlying metrics don't look particularly great. And and the Blackhawks are we mentioned this on the, on the pre and uh, post game show a few days ago. Like they've played so many Eastern conference teams that there are, there are a ton of points available down the road, not just for the Blackhawks, but points that they can take away from other Western conference teams down the road. So absolutely. Can they go on? They, can they go on some run and, and not necessarily like, can they, can they make a Stanley cup run? Like no one's, no one's, getting getting that far ahead of themselves but they can certainly make some kind of run and 
just because they can start feeling good about themselves, there's just it just feels like a different type of energy, right? Like it doesn't feel like I'm looking at the schedule and I'm like, well, you know, if they if they win here, like it just feels like okay, if they have this type of energy moving forward, then they can they can really build some confidence and 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 go on a potential run to to kind of get themselves back in the playoff hunt. Injury update, and this one uh, this one's gonna be a loss for the Hawks. Uh, Brandon Hagel's gonna miss approximately two weeks with that left shoulder injury uh, on a positive note, Tyler Johnson and defenseman Isaac Phillips have been removed from COVID-19 protocol. Tyler Johnson's been out for what? Three to four weeks now, right? He's it's been two weeks. I think he left. The, was it the Carolina game? It was in Carolina. Okay. In Carolina. So, right. Yep. Yeah. So, so at least so, two weeks. Yeah. Um, two weeks. He probably is going to, I mean, I don't know his availability for Friday night. I don't know where his conditioning is at, but um, the Brandon Hagel loss will be a miss. He's, you know, he's certainly been a player that's uh, he's been very noticeable for this team, even in the tough start. Yeah, no question. Here's the good news though, Pat, after Friday's game, they don't play until Wednesday. So it's, they, they play Seattle on Wednesday. Then they have two days off again until they play Edmonton on Saturday. So maybe it's not going to look like Hagel's going to miss a ton of game action, Usually you look at the two weeks and you're like, oh man, that's not good. But he he may only miss three or four games. And that that's probably a positive sign because if this if this happened a couple weeks ago, the Blackhawks have been playing every other night. So like he probably would have missed like six, seven, eight games. So maybe that's the encouraging news is that they after Friday's game, they don't play again till for five more days. And look for some slight tweaks to the D zone coverage between that layoff, between the Arizona game and the Seattle game. Real smart approach by Davidson and uh, uh, by Derek King, you know, especially. And I asked, I asked uh, Kyle about this after watching, you know, the the change, the transition between Quenville and Colleton, and the the change in system in season. He's like, you know, I said, did you learn from that about how you want to make changes with this group in season? And they're like, yeah, that's why we're, we kept things the same here. This is going to be in steps and it's going to be gradual, but they're going to take advantage when they have two or three days of practice in a row. That's when you're going to see um, these, these tweaks. And we also just saw a tweak in kind of, Practice philosophy as far as uh, practices following a game. Uh, explain to everyone the approach that Derek took with kind of like a 30-minute up-tempo, everybody-involved practice versus the traditional hour practice that that the, the guys normally go through. Yeah, no question. It, it was more of like it was a quick 30-minute. And we saw this with Joel Quinville too. He wanted quick, short practices. And then the guys can goof around afterwards and play Tupac and work on their skills. But he wanted their attention for a short time span after a game. And we'll see how it is moving forward too on just typical practices. But, you know, typically after a game, like you don't want to, um, you don't want to extend those practices. And so that's going to be interesting to see because I think, I think with this team, I know in the past, it was a young team and they really needed to practice. So they, they needed to have those long stretches where they were on the ice together and, and working on D zone coverage and, and some of those drills. But I think he wants that short, short, like, let me have your attention for 30 minutes. And then afterwards you guys can do whatever you want in practice. So I think that, I think players will appreciate that, especially as the season goes on, when, 
when practices can be grueling and and it, when you're in January and February and you're like, man, it's hard for me to get up right now. Just give me 30 minutes of your time. And then after that, it's all yours. Well, it's been an interesting start to uh, Derek King's tenure as interim head coach. We'll see where it goes from here. Next up, the Blackhawks take on uh, Arizona Coyotes on Friday night at the United Center. That's going to do it for this edition of the Blackhawks Talk podcast presented by Coors Light. For Charlie Romeliotis, Tony Gill, Jeff Nelson, and everybody on the hockey content team at NBC Sports Chicago, I'm Pat Boyle. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.